you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hi, everyone. And if you're a loyal listener, welcome back to the Win Win Podcast. And if you're new here, I am beyond excited to have you join in as today's episode has one of my favorite guests on it, Tony Van Winkle, who is Senior Director of Workplace Experience at Adobe. I've waited months to have Tony on, and she's truly one of the most inspirational women I have had the pleasure and the honor of speaking to, and she's been a supporter of Wynn through encouraging one of the amazing ladies on her team, Kate Judson, to play a leadership role at Wynn. Kate is our San Francisco programming lead and is just a total, total powerhouse. So if you have yet to check out our programming, we have innovation and leadership curated workshops with some of the most talented companies and humans in the industry. Today, however, I had an incredible time asking Tony specifically questions about what it means to rethink and think about workplace experience, as that is something that has been so top of mind for everyone, whether they are now going completely remote, hybrid, or having to go back to the office five times a week. I know that my company has been so awesome and flexible, and that's something I don't take for granted at all, but I also know that it comes with challenges and questions to make that happen. Tony really breaks it down what innovating in this realm means and how they are thinking about it even before the pandemic accelerated this discipline. You'll absolutely hear it, but Tony is the definition of a change maker and a transformation leader. She's received Digital Workplace Group Award for Leader of the Year, and her team also won the 2021 CIO 100 Award, recognizing their thought leadership and positive business outcomes. The other thing I love about Tony in today's episode is that you'll see that she's unafraid to answer the really tough questions. We really talk about the various phases in Adobe's rich history, and also what it means to be the kind of company that perhaps doesn't even need to innovate that much when they are so successful in what they do. I mean, the word Photoshop is literally a verb in the English language. Please keep tuning in, and if you like this episode and our podcast, please make sure to give five stars and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and of course, share it with your friends of all genders to keep the conversation going. Hi, Tony. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hello. Well, thank you so much for having me here today. I feel feel honored to be amongst uh, the brilliant women that you've had on your podcast. Oh my goodness. The honor is all ours. We've been really trying to get you to come on our podcast for a while, so we feel very happy to have you here. Um, You're doing some of the most fascinating work with Adobe, which we will absolutely discuss, but your first senior role in technology was in 1997, so around 25 years ago, and before Adobe, you spent about eight years at Cisco. So Mm -hmm. where did the desire and opportunity to get involved with technology come from? And was your family supportive of it? Were they in it? Or how did they react? Yeah, it's actually kind of an interesting, somewhat winding, convoluted road. Um, I started my career in accounting and finance. In fact, one of my first uh, mentors I ran into as I was doing a temp job, I was reconciling accounts 
and I fixed this gnarly problem for him. Um, I was one of many people who attempted to reconcile this particular bundle of, of, of mess. And um, in doing so, I landed myself a permanent job at this company called Alps Electric. And I was very early in my career. I was in my 20s at the time. And uh, Bob just was like, oh, my goodness, you're so good at this problem solving. And I just love to make sense out of chaos. I love problem solving. And so what I ended up doing is doing several jobs across the accounting function. I led accounts receivable, and then I had accounts payable, and then general accounting, and then FP&A, and tax, and so on and so forth. And finally, we decided, well, we need to automate this stuff. And I implemented my first ERP system. So it was happenstance that I took some of this business knowledge and was able to put it into systems, systems knowledge. Um, I loved it so much, and I wasn't all about the debits and credits after a while <laughs> or closing the books every month. And I left Alps to go to a consulting firm. And that firm was doing um, Oracle implementations. And so in the during the dot-com boom, what I did was do system implementations for uh, startups and small, you know, SMB-sized companies. Um, around the valley, and it was fantastic. Um, so a lot of fun. So that's kind of how I got my start in technology. Even with a dot com boom, you know the scope of available technology roles then and now have changed so much. So what would you say the scope of them was then, and how have you seen the opportunities to get involved with STEM as a whole, but also for women and minorities evolve? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. It's really interesting because there's some thematic things and an evolution that you can see start to unfold. Um, thinking about the beginning of my career, there wasn't this thing called the internet. It was just starting to develop, and so um, when we were doing things like having business meetings, those were over telephone calls, hardwired telephones. They were actually tethered to like a box and you know, <laughs> things like that. And you couldn't like video conference people. That made the relationship in business a little bit different. In fact, you were kind of buffered from actually knowing who was on the other side of the line. I have a great uh, story about the beginning of my career. And my maiden name is Lee. And I have this wonderful kind of deep voice in the, in the name Tony. And I was in a Japanese company and you know, accumulating some power and had responsibility for a lot of dollars. This kind of illustrates where the technology was. Um, and I made my first trip to Japan. And in doing so, I arrive and, you know, one of my friends had taught me my speech in Japanese. And I go in front of this audience of executives <laughs> and, you know, start my speech. And unbeknownst to them that Tony Lee was a black woman because there was no social media. You right. didn't know anything about me before I was coming. During the dot-com boom, we started to unfold knowing each other before we actually knew each other. Mm. And so, um, you know, they would have known at that point who I was before I arrived, perhaps my family, the age of my dog, you know, so many things that we put out there in technology. So um, that's kind of something that, you know, I think is, is a part of this evolution is how the interplay between the technology and the human experience has changed. And you think from that boom to now, it's just been exponential. 
it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah. It's so it's crazy to think about, but at the same time, there are inherent biases when you are, you know, you go on a date even and you stalk the person that you're going on a date with and you know their mother's maiden name and the square footage of their apartment. And, you know, taking that to the workplace, that that can be extremely problematic because you're judged before you get your foot in the door. But to what you were saying, I think as you said, you you got to build up this rapport before actually revealing your gender, your name, your 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 Mm -hmm a race. But my question is, how did you push those doors open at a time when the face of technology was largely white and male dominated to get you there? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, and I think that it, I owe a lot to those people who, uh, came before me to open some of those doors. My position in a lot of this was that, I was pretty darn determined and, uh, you know, in almost, I see that of a, almost kind of like had that attitude, you know, Oh, you questioned my ability to do it. Oh, watch me. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, give that met with an opportunity to prove yourself is where you start to open doors. And the biggest thing about that is start to pull people with you. And so that's where this kind of involvement in STEM and starting to coach those people that are coming with you on this journey or behind you on this journey and opening those doors for other people. So as I came into management and leadership, which I had resistance, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to do that, but, you know, I became brave and stepped into that role. Um, I started to mentor and coach people and say, you know what, you have an opportunity to possibly lead as well, as long as you walk into it. And um, I think it just took a little bit of courage and determination Um, I wish I could say that I was ready and I checked off all the boxes and, you know, I came from some great pedigree school and, you know, all that other stuff. None of that actually was true for me. Um, This was really about my own self-study, my own self-determination and some people who really believed in me. And um, I had to sometimes actually believe those people more than myself. Right. Before you were even able to accept that on yourself, because you really needed that, I guess, proof, maybe, which you had in you the entire time anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. As you got into tech, uh, you spent a lot of time in IT release management specifically. So uh, as you started in tech, what was the role of IT and IT leadership and, and how did it contribute to innovation? Yeah, it's really interesting because um, after leaving that consulting firm, I went into Cisco. And so, you know, the first part of my career was really on the business side. And Cisco at the time was doing a huge implementation of Oracle 11i, happened to be one of those consultants in the Valley that had experience with that. And part of it was this business testing, part of it was organizational change management. And I had an opportunity at that time to start looking at problems in in a different way. I think, you know, we probably need to broaden the aperture for what innovation means. I think Mm. I describe innovation as this ability to test and define and solve problems. Um, And hopefully that is to, you know, an end where you're solving a problem for, you know, either society, community, or business. And in this particular case, this was solving business problems. So we need to think about different ways of doing things. And that was probably the first place. 
um, we had a, something called Synergy, which was a which was a project uh, that was going to be. I would I would say it was probably some of the first digital transformation projects that you saw in Fortune 500 companies, and we were going to start this digital transformation to start to digitize the business and go paperless and create automated workflows and this type of thing. There's a lot of innovation in that kind of business problem solving. And that's when I took the leap to come into IT. Now, the part about release management is how do you deliver all this change from a technically sound way, meaning of high quality, And then how do you have users uptake that change and not stop the business? And so that was the tricky bit about managing releases, because not only did you have your foot in the door around the technology piece, you also had your foot in the door around the human piece. And that was probably some of the early parts of me looking at this intersection between behavior and technology. One of my personal passions is is this idea of what happens between strategy and execution. I'm actually writing a book about pivots specifically, so I have uh-huh. to get a little nerdy here and ask. <laughs> something you mentioned about innovation really struck with me was that notion of the testing and experimenting. And when I think about that, when you experiment, you have an opportunity to fail. But we've yeah. seen that failure looks and is received very differently for different people, uh, for different levels of an organization. So mm-hmm. how did you experience failure in your career? And and have you seen your race be something that has affected or being a woman affected how that failure is received? Yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful question. Um, let me let me look at take that in different segments. So very early in my career, as I said, I started off in Alps, a Japanese company. And during that time, uh, Japanese manufacturers were some of the best in the business in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. And the Kaizen or that problem solving, that quality technique where anybody in that shop floor could pull the cord and say, we have a quality issue and actually stop the manufacturing line just to start to dissect and solve a problem. This is very early, early days. Um, In fact, that kind of discipline is what led to more agile methodologies. Mm. And what agile methodologies said is, look, we're going to uh, build, test, you know, prototype, experiment, and we're going to speed up delivery instead of this kind of monolithic waterfall. Waterfall. You tell me this is what we're building we go build it, you tell me you hate it, and then we build it again, and these very long timelines come in. And and Agile started coming along. And that Agile methodology allowed us to look at development, prototyping, and experimentation in a different way. It was a gentle way for us to do the failures we were doing in these long long waterfall projects, but Mm -hmm. we were doing it in Agile way. We were failing fast. We just didn't say it out loud. Totally. Then we started to take this intersection between agile and design thinking. And then we said, oh, well, what if I did some discovery and I looked at the problem and verified that this was the problem and then prototype the solution before I even touched a line of code? Right. That started to introduce more ability to fail safely in the environment. 
And this whole culture shift around DevOps and those things were starting to stir up in the early, you know, like 2008, 2010, where Gene Kim was starting to write about DevOps and, you know, this emergence of, hey, it has to be safe for us to fail. So I would say that there was this line of evolving to this kind of safety for large organizations to have spaces where you can experiment and fail. Now, the part about race and color and gender and how that walks into it, I will say that it's unfair, but it is true that people of color and women often get um, underestimated. And what that gives us pressure on is perfection. So when we walk in the door, there is this pressure to be X percent better at everything which does not allow a margin of failure if you don't feel safe to do so. The problem with that is that that does not give us any margin to learn or grow. And so in the work of talking about diversity and inclusion, we have to include space to grow. We have to assume that even even the brightest of us have margin of failure. And that's how we move things forward. And that's how we innovate. So I know that was a long-winded answer, but there were two strings of what was happening in industry and methodology and what's happening on the human side again. Yeah. And and I think that's a, a, a really important and fascinating aspect of your work, which is continuously bridging that human experience with the technology. And I personally Mm -hmm. think that the true failure is when we see them to differently. And so you joined Adobe, your most uh, recent company, the company where you are today, at a very interesting time for the company in 2009-2010, when there were actually lots of discussions about Adobe Flash and tons of back and forth on it with (laughs) Apple, which is pretty significant in the tech world, I I would say. Um, But what was it like to join a company in this pivotal time for it and then see its reaction to other crises throughout your time there, such as COVID-19? Yeah, I, you know, what a blessing to join the company when I did, you know, I actually turned down this job. Um, (laughs) I had, there was a VP that worked there. Uh, She's now the uh, CIO of um, Zendesk. Her name is Colleen Verby and been a mentor. We worked together at Cisco and she called me and said, hey, you know, I've got this gig. I think you're going to love it. And I said, no, I'm not, you know, I can't do it right now. And about a year later, I decided to join, um, and it just made sense to do it. And the company at that point, I remember two numbers. I talk about this a lot. 6,035. 6,000 was the number of employees Adobe had at that time, and 35 was the stock price. So everybody listening, look up what Adobe is now. We're over like 25,000 employees, and I think the stock price today was about 500. Mm-hmm. So like incredible, incredible transformation of a company. And at that time, we were thinking about what does it mean to be a cloud service provider? This was like a whole new business model. Remember, we had box software. So if you wanted to buy Photoshop, you would go to your local fries or electronic store and buy the software in a box install it yourself on your uh, local device and use the software for however long until you decide to buy the latest version. 
And what Adobe was at is this real inflection point in the business is how do we get our products to more people and how do we deliver it in a much more sustainable way, not only from a sustainability ecology perspective, but a sustainability in terms of business growth and renewable revenue. And that was like 2010, that move. Now, that was a paradigm shift in every way we operate the company. Um, just think about the customer care perspective. If I buy software off the shelf and I install it myself and it doesn't work, that's kind of like on me. I troubleshoot. I try to figure it out. If you download software or you're using a web tool or something like that, your expectation is you expect that company that's providing that service to make it work. Constant so, support. Yeah, constant support, always on. And so this whole idea of always on, this whole idea of quality, this whole idea of moving from transactions to interactions with your customers, all of those things were starting to emerge. So it was a huge, exciting time to be at the company and a ton, <laughs> ton of innovation, innovation in the products, innovation in the delivery method, innovation in our uh, processes, innovation in, you know, how do you attract talent? So every, every aspect of the company was evolving and it's pretty cool. The second part of your, your question was about, you know, how is, you know, how are we evolving now and what probably did 2020 look like? Um, it's really interesting as as an organization, we talk, we think about Adobe now as kind of this cloud service provider, and it feels very young and trendy, but the company's like 37 years old. You know, I was a kid when this company mm, started, yeah. right? Like, it's an old company. And um, what's so cool is the company really takes innovation and evolving itself very seriously. Um, yeah, as do as do the leaders. In fact, Sean New, our CEO, always talks about looking around the corner and being curious. And I I love that that idea. 2020 was a crazy, crazy year. I'm happy that we were prepared to move the company to work remotely um, basically overnight around the world. Um, so we were prepared with uh, the ability for our employees to work from anywhere. But what a year, you know, what what kind of year do you have when you have a global pandemic? You have so much uh, polarizing uh, information in the news and in politics. Um, you have the Ahmaud Aubrey, the uh, George Floyd, uh, tons of social injustice issues. This, um, you know, uprising of society uh, saying that Black Lives Matter and you know all of the playback of that, pushback of that. Um, you had an election year. Um, you have what happened on January sixth. You know uh, it was just like a crazy year. And then you know the orange skies in California for those of us who were on this side of the coast. Um, you know storms uh, in the East Coast, earthquakes. Uh, you know, all around the world, it just felt like, oh my gosh, you know, like, is the world ending? As you and, said it, I'm like, how did we make it? Like, how, how did, did we make it? it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, I think the core of it is, is that, first of all, humans are incredibly resilient. And if given the opportunity, there's heroes in every corner of your organization. 
And I think that was uh, something that we rose to the occasion. I know that I look at my team and I am just like in awe of um, how we came together, how we navigated that and the resilience of, of humans uh, and the empathy, the empathy that came out of that. Yeah. And, and what's really unique about your role specifically is that you have been working in digital workplace experience. And before the pandemic, the idea of a digital workplace experience seemed honestly foreign to most of us, but you've been doing it since 2017. So mm -hmm. what is your department's role and definition of a digital workplace? And how does your work interact with the construct of a non-digital workplace, especially now when that construct is just a construct at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Well, you know, I mean, the mission of the team is, of course, to keep Adobe's uh, employees collaborating, innovative and productive anywhere. And, um, you know, not that we anticipated that we would all be working from home in 2020, um, but we did see an emerging persona in our environment. So we do work studies, we use design thinking, so on and so forth. And as we studied the way that people work in our environment, we saw this emergence of what I call the digital nomad. And that digital nomad is someone who doesn't need to be tethered to one office, one cubicle. In fact, if you see our campus in San Jose or our largest cam larger campuses in Lehigh and so on, you'll see people picking up their laptops to go work in a coffee shop or to go work outside for a while or to work at their house for a while. And so we saw this happening. And, you know, we also saw the emergence of issues with making that happen smoothly. So we spent 2017 to 2019 really preparing for this digital nomad and a new way that people wanted to work. And unbeknownst to us, what we would find, you know, in early 2020 is that we really, really needed that capability. Um, my team is made up of multiple disciplines. So I have a UX design team, I have a team that focuses on collaboration. So think about your email, your video conferencing, your chat platforms, things like that. A team that manages our endpoints like cell phones and laptops and desktops and all the support that's associated with that. A team that manages uh, what we call enterprise learning. A team that looks at um, all the events that we do for Adobe, like Adobe Max and Summit. What are the technologies that we need to bring that to life? a team that looks at productivity. So how do we automate things? You know, this is kind of an echo back to the beginning of my career is how do I stop doing things manually? How do I put those in an automated fashion and make them more efficient and drive the change around that? And then an architect and people who manage the, the portfolio and planning and operations process. So um, I have a fantastic team and uh, awesome people that I work with around the world. Yeah. Well, you, you must have been busy before this pandemic, but I can imagine you were the most popular woman in your organization when this all happened. Um, 
just thinking back actually to something you said earlier and um, and this you know notion of transformation, which is such a thread throughout your career. I mean, going back to this notion of changing Adobe from box software to a subscription service in the cloud, essentially, that must have really changed the way that people interact with the product. And, and so what have you seen with this change of interaction, especially as a lot of your consumers are actually those digital nomads using your product? Mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest thing is that statement about moving away from a transactional relationship with your customers to a much more interaction relationship. And that interaction means that I kind of understand the ways that you work. Um, I understand, you know, the goals that you're trying to achieve. And I'm enabling you to do that through the products that we that we deliver. And, you know, some of the things that people don't know about, you know, the expansion of the Adobe portfolio, we have a business that focuses on basically the digital experience. So think about digital marketing and websites and digital experiences that you see on, you know, multiple devices. We have a business that is around, um, you know, the document uh, cloud. And so how do I you know, have workflows with documents and sign documents and go through kind of the digitization of the legal process, for example, or procurement process. And then we have this creative business that most people know us for. And that could be anything from filmmaking to animation, to videography, to photography, to sound, et cetera. So there's a breadth of relationships, you know, with individual creatives as well as with large enterprises. So you'll see Adobe's products present in, you know, a football game, your news broadcast, social media. You'll you'll see you'll see it throughout. So there's a there's a lot there. Um, but I think the relationships have changed from this uh, real interaction and real listening to our customers and thinking about instead of customer service thinking about customer success. You're right about this extensive portfolio because I actually, for when outside of the podcast, I help run marketing. And one of my favorite new Adobe products has been Adobe Splash. I mean, it's just made our social media work so much easier. For those of you who don't know, it's you're essentially can build out your digital marketing brand on this website by Adobe and you're able to make stories and Facebook banners and whatever it is. And, and it's honestly just, just, been so incredible and so useful. But I have to think about the fact that I probably used my first Adobe product. This is going to age me like probably 10 years ago, maybe 15. And so Uh to think about a, a company that's been so prominent and so prevalent and essentially, in my opinion, unchallenged to me can actually be a barrier to innovation because if you're just number one, where do you go from there? So what are your thoughts on that? And, and how can Adobe or how is Adobe approaching staying innovative and unchallenged? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, it's such a great question because there's there's parts of our business that, you know, of course, we're saying we've been in this show for a long time. <laughs> and, you know, like Photoshop or being Photoshops is actually a verb, you know, like, Our products are actually verbs out there, right? And how do we create more of those verbs that kind of inculcate 
Adobe into the culture of, of every day. And it's, it's really this recognition that, you know, you guys might not know that, but there are competitors coming behind us saying, mm-hmm. want to win this market. And in order for us to keep that leading edge, uh, we have to continue to innovate. And some of that innovation comes from what we hear from our customers in what they need and how the market is evolving. And some of it is just how technology itself is evolving. Right. You know, if you take something like, you know, uh, uh, the way that we used to do photography in the past, where you would take a picture, you would develop the film, you might have some ways to, you know, take that into a digital asset and morph that film to what we can do today, which is you can take that picture, you can put it into a marketing campaign, we can use AI to give you more subject matter so that you can create those campaigns even faster. So Mm. who knew that you would be using, you know, AI and things like that in photography? You know, so these are the types of innovations that continue to happen. And we do this internally with my team as well. I mean, I'm not in in the product team, I'm just passionate about my company. You know, even in the digital workplace, we think about innovation all the time because the demands of our employees, the acceleration and consumerization of IT as services, um, it's it's really changed. So we need to think about how we stay valuable to the business as well. Yeah, and, and you're almost foreshadowing my, my very last question, which is oh. all about digital workplace 2.0, as well as yeah. Tony 2.0 and 3.0. Um, and <laughs> that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? Okay. So one month from now, I see myself definitely taking a vacation And I see that Adobe will probably go into its annual planning process. And so that's when we start to decide about the cool stuff we'll invest in next year. One year from now, probably a slight pivot in the focus of what the digital workplace will be. We are starting to do more with Adobe products and how we can kind of drink our own champagne and showcase how those products can live in the digital workplace So that's something that you'll see both at Adobe and I guess for Tony as well and the team. 10 years from now, I believe I will be off doing uh, community service work, hopefully helping uh, women and people of color excel in technology and community change. And Adobe will probably be, again, reinventing itself. I'm so excited to see that. And I'll be following along your and Adobe's journey through that whole time. Thank you so, so much, Tony, for coming on. It's been incredible meeting you and getting the chance to interview you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It has been a pleasure and an honor. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.